A binge-worthy show about Jesus? The Chosen Season 3 is here. Come and see what the buzz is about. The Chosen explores the imperfect and messy relationships of real humans following Jesus. The first six episodes are available now. Stream each new episode for free. Plus, watch exclusive content like The After Show, only in the new Chosen app. Download The Chosen app on mobile and TV streaming devices. Visit BingeJesus.com to learn more. Asbury Methodist Village in Montgomery County takes senior living to the next level, creating extraordinary opportunities for a fulfilling future. Work your brain and body in our new wellness center. Stroll our expansive campus and 17-acre nature preserve. Stay sharp with our resident-run college and find so many new ways to get involved and make a difference for others. Anticipate more from your retirement. Visit asburymethodistvillage.org today. Your future's here. Equal Opportunity Housing Provider. Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From dynasty to prospects to redraft, we got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clay. All right, fantasy baseball fanatics around the world, welcome to the Tool Shed. This is episode 117 of the Fantrax Tool Shed with Click and Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We have another fun episode in store today. And with me, as usual, is my 80 grade host, Mr. Chris Clay. Chris, I got to ask you a question to start with the show today. Would you ever consider you know, wearing your hair in pigtails like Mike Clevenger did, did the <laughs> other day? Is that ever across your mind? No, it hadn't, but it. It was a look, that's for sure. It was an interesting <laughs> look at that. But no, I, I've never had enough hair to do that. I don't think I ever will have enough hair to do that. But, you know, props to him. Yeah, got to give it to him. He you did it. The only other thing you could do, and I, we both could do this if we grow our beards long enough. You ever see anybody that had, like, they do, like, the sing, they'll have, like, beads on it. Like, this, I don't even know what you want to call it, but, like, almost like a ponytail on your beard. I have seen that. Yeah, so I've seen it braided before, too, which is interesting. Yeah, very interesting. I know I, at times I've had my beard long enough to do that, but never considered it. But yeah, I saw that on Twitter the other day. I was I didn't watch the the San Diego game, but I saw it on Twitter and I was like, yeah, that's uh that's a look, but not surprising. Clevenger just like doesn't care. He does what he wants. He dresses how he wants. It's, it's outlandish. He doesn't give a crap. And it's <laughs> but it's fun to it's he's just a fun guy. I think he'd be fun to like go out and have a beer with, you know. Yeah, he seems pretty chill. He's called yeah. Sunshine for a reason. So, <laughs> absolutely. Now, if he can just stay on the mound and give us some pitching sunshine here moving forward, that'll be great. Though I don't have many shares of him, so that doesn't really matter to me. But I'm sure others want him to stay on the mound, especially San Diego fans. But enough about Clevenger. We got a really fun episode today. Before we get into all of that, the usual housekeeping. You can find us on Twitter. Chris is at Roto Clegg. I'm at Eric Cross zero four, and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review. Check out our Patreon for extra content from both of us and our YouTube channel for plenty of live prospect video throughout the season. And, of course, check out all the other great work we have going on at Fantrax HQ with multiple fantasy baseball articles coming out every single day. I just had my prospect rankings come out on Tuesday. Chris will have his out probably Friday, and we will have our dynasty rankings out next week. Mine early in the week. Chris is later in the week. So a lot of fun stuff going on over at Fantrax HQ, so make sure you check all of that out. 
let's get right into it, Chris. We are breaking our trend here of, you know, asking if this guy is an ace moving forward. But we're going to talk about an ace to start up today's show. And what's wrong with him? Mr. Brandon Woodruff had another stinker the other day, pushing his ERA up to 5.97 with a 1.36 whip through six starts. Though he does still have a 29.4% K rates. But everyone looks at the ERA and the whip. And that, that last bad start, which I believe was against Cincinnati, if I recall. And everyone's wondering, hey, what's wrong with Woodruff? It's a fair question to ask. But you look deeper. Yeah, he's given up you know, a higher barrel rate and hard hit rate. Those two have gone up pretty significantly, nearly double for the barrel rate and up about 13.5% on the hard hit. But a lot of the other metrics aren't that far off from last season in terms of like, you know, whiff rate is actually up. Zone contact's only up about a percent and a half. Chase rate is about the same. Like Everything's in that same general area as they were last year. So I am personally not worried at all about Woodruff. I would go by and redraft Dynasty wherever you can on him right now if the whoever rosters him is a little worried and selling for any type of discount. So I'm not worried. Are you worried, Chris? I'm not. I, you look at everything in the profile and it looks good, like you mentioned. I think he's had some bad luck swing his way, and he's had a couple bad pitches too. Like, you know, some of it is his fault. So you look at some of the home runs that he's given up, especially on the four seam, just leaving them in bad locations. So that obviously is a a big thing that we're seeing here. Just some bad, I won't say bad home run luck, but he has had some some just bad pitches, I guess per se, that have been left over that have led to home runs. You know, he's allowed. Uh, three on the four seam and then a curve, you know, a curve wasn't a bad location. Mustak has hit a home run on that one. And, you know, the four seam, interesting enough. You Actually, all these home runs have been to the Reds, which I, I find funny. The Reds are horrific. But Mustakis, Colin Moran, Tommy Pham, and Brandon Drury, all with uh, home runs on him so far this year. So that's fun to see. The one of them, Brandon Drury's home run was actually a great location up above the zone. You know, grooved it at 96 miles an hour, and Drury hit it out. Drury's been interesting. We're not talking about Drury though, but <laughs> you know, Woodruff is doing a lot of the right things. I think you'll see these numbers come back down to earth under the hood a little bit. You know, he's got a 303 Sierra as opposed to a 597 ERA. He has a 359 FIP which is encouraging the X, XFIP at 3.29, also encouraging XERA at 3.58. All these things you like to see. He's running a high BABIP. He never runs high BABIPs, honestly. Like 3.42 would be a career high by a good margin. His career BABIP allowed is 2.88. So, again, small sample. We'll see that come back down. His strand rate of 59.3% is also a huge outlier. Is at 75.6% for his career. So that strain rate will come up. The BABIP will come down. We'll see the results improve, in my opinion. I think everything's fine. I'm not particularly worried about him at all. If you can buy low, I probably would. I mean, he's still rocking a solid K-walk rate. He's got uh, the highest swing strike rate of his career. You know, I mentioned some of his pitches, like his four-seam, allowing some home runs, but you know, the whiff rate on it is actually you know pretty close to what it was last year. There's a lot of encouraging things in the profile here, including – his changeup, which has been filthy. So he's got a 60% whiff rate on the changeup. Love to see that. Overall, I'm not a bit worried. 
No, I'm not either. And I had a tweet three days ago. This is before that last start. There are only three pitchers in baseball with 20 plus innings. that had a Z swing percentage above 70% and a Z contact percentage below 80%. So guys that are filling the zone, but giving up, you know, not a lot of contact in the zone. It was Woodruff, Cease, and Eric Lauer. So two two Brewers on there. Paul Blackburn just missed for reference too. So yeah, I'm not worried at all. You look at command, and you mentioned that a little bit. You look at all the heat maps on his pitches, and I don't have a single issue with any of these heat maps. Four seamer up, sinker down and in to righties, change up pretty similar location to the sinker, curveball, lower third of the zone, slider, you know, down on the way to righties. So everything looks fine. Like you mentioned, the ERA indicators are all right around like a two and a half runs or so lower than a surface ERA. He'll be fine. So 100% buy low, endorsed by both of us here on the Fantrax Toolshed. Moving over to a, a much younger pitcher, but one that just threw the first single pitcher no-hitter of the season, which I think Noah Syndergaard just uh, took a crack at the Mets for today on Twitter. Reed Detmers, though, he only had two strikeouts in the no-hitter, which I got to feel like that might be... I want to I look that up. Do you think there's ever been a no-hitter with less than two strikeouts? <laughs> maybe, maybe back in, like, you know... You know, old Hoss Radborn days back, you know, 130 years ago. But two strikeouts and a no hitter is very odd. But still, it's a no hitter, drops his ERA to 377 with a very sparkling 0.84 whip. Chris, in general, what have been your thoughts on Reed Detmers this season and how are you valuing him moving forward? You know, he's not really been that dominant. It's kind of interesting. Also, I pulled it up. He did. Th- it was the fewest strikeouts and no hitter since Francisco Liriano had two in 2011. Did that, I did, didn't that didn't he have like eight or nine walks that game? If I recall, <laughs> maybe I, I don't know. I think I remember that. It was like a lot of walks, and he had like 130 pitches back when you know people weren't scared to let pitchers go that far. Yeah, there's been. Three no-hitters with zero strikeouts. 1912, Earl Ham- Hamilton, Sam Jones in 1923, and Ken Holtzman in 1973. So there have been a few with zero, but in the modern era, I'm not really seeing any with fewer than two at least. So, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, back to Detmers. He's not impressed me. Like, obviously, a no-hitter is impressive. He's 22 years old. Obviously, pitching the bigs, it that should be impressive. He's not getting a lot of strikeouts. He's only struck out twenty and in thirty-one innings. You know, the whip has been good. I think that was definitely helped by this last start. A sixteen point eight percent K rate. Just, I don't really see it being sustainable, especially with the hard contact that he's allowed. And now I say this as I roster him in a couple of places, so like I want to be optimistic, not overly optimistic with what we've seen. The good news is at least some of the ERA indicators, you know, are right there with him. Especially the X ERA is at three seven eight. He's got a three seven seven ERA, which you know, is very close. The FIP and Sierra are a little higher, just over four. His BABIP is really low, like one seven four. So obviously he had a lot of BABIP luck yesterday that went into that no hitter. I'm slightly concerned. I wouldn't be. I would be surprised if we don't see the strikeouts tick back up. Like it. I have a hard time believing that he sticks this low, and especially with that curveball that he's got. It's extremely dominant pitch. Like I think once he figures that out, 
he's going to be fine. He's going to get more whiffs. But right now, he just has a 25% whiff rate on the curve, a 16% whiff rate on the slider. And his changeup being his best pitch from a whiff rate perspective at 34.6%. I think we see those improve. I think he's got the stuff to improve. I'm feeling pretty good overall about some improvement here, at least from the strikeouts standpoint. But I am a little worried about the hard contact that we're seeing. Hopefully, that doesn't bite him in the butt too much. But, shoot, I mean, you can't argue with no hitter, even with some good Babbitt luck. But, yeah, overall, I'd like to see the whiff rate tick up a little bit and help the strikeout rate. Yeah, that would be ideal. And, yeah, you you got to figure the K rate at least bounces back to some degree. This is the guy currently through his first 51 and two-thirds innings. Ah, so he actually just graduated from prospect status the day after I post my rankings update, of course. But uh, yeah, through those first 51 and two-thirds innings in the major leagues, only has a 17.7% K rate in the minors in 62 innings, so you know nearly the same sample size, only three more starts. He had a 42% K rate, and obviously I'm not expecting that. But I thought you know, with the stuff he has, especially that, the breaking ball, I thought I figured he could be someone like, you know, 26, 27, 28% K rate guys. Not like the elite 30 plus, but definitely above average. So I think he can get back there. In fact, he's still pitching to pretty solid ratios. That whip is below one, which is very encouraging. He's not walking a ton of batters right now either. 6.7% uh, walk rate, which was a concern, you know, in previous years a little bit. So there's been some improvements in, in some encouraging things elsewhere just like you mentioned the k's haven't been there the whiffs haven't been there but he does have the stuff to take up so another guy i don't know if you can buy low on a guy that just pitched a no hitter but if you can get him for a pretty solid price right now in dynasty leagues or in redraft leagues whatever i think the best is yet to come from the and that's easy to say because he's still in his first full season but definitely think that the arrow is going to point up here especially with that with that k rate that is for sure Another young arm that's been looking really good so far on the opposite coach is Kyle Bradish. Is it Bradish or Bradish? I should know this. Chris, do you know which one of this? I've heard both. I'm going to go. Yeah, with I have Bradish. two. I think it's okay. You think it's Bradish? Okay, we'll go with that. All right. Kyle Bradish for the Baltimore Orioles, 6'4, 220 pound right hander, made three starts so far, 424 ERA, 1.06 whip, but his best start was his last start. Is seven innings against the St. Louis Cardinals. What day? Those yesterday on what day is today? This Wednesday. So on Tuesday, can't get my days of the week straight right now. Seven innings, four hits, two runs, zero walks, and eleven strikeouts. Here, you think there's something here with the uh, Bradish, Chris? I think so. I mean, you know, I'm not going to go like crazy on him, but you you can't argue with what we've seen so far. It's been encouraging. He was one that really popped off last year as well where it was like, how much do you buy in? He's you know, 24, obviously still in the minors. Now being 25 in the majors, like he's done some good things. I'm certainly intrigued to see what he can do moving forward. But I would say the start was definitely pretty big for him, especially against a good Cardinals team striking out 11. Like, where did that come from? I'm not sure we see that kind of strikeout total stick, but I think it could be useful for fantasy. I think I'm assuming at this point, like he's probably rostered pretty much everywhere or he will be at least, you know, after this week of fab, I think I'd say he's getting borderline startable in 
a 15 depending on matchup. I'd kind of wait and see in a 12 team, but I think you're going to have to pick him up and just let him sit on your bench. I, I don't think that he, he's going to be picked up universally in most leagues by this weekend, just based on that one start. So if you want him, you're going to have to get him. I'm not sure who his next matchup is scheduled against, but I'd kind of play it based on matchup right now and just see where it goes. Cause you know, obviously we've seen what he's capable of, which was really good against a good Cardinals lineup at that. So, you know, I'm curious as how he performs the rest of the season. Yeah. And he, he said this, he's usually four seam slider, a little bit of a cur- little curveball, a little change up here and there, but over 80% usage rate combined on the four seamer and the slider. And that slider has been really damn good so far. 143 batting average against. He has 10 of his 16 Ks on that pitch. Uh, 268, or excuse me, 286 slugging allowed and a 41.9% whiff rate on that slider. So, uh, pretty solid command of it as well. He's been hit a little hard, 45.5% hard hit rate, but he keeps the walk rate down. That's encouraging. I think there could be something here. Maybe I don't think he's much more than like a back end, maybe a number four starter long term, but. You know, definitely could be a guy that is your, one of your back end guys and twelve teamers. Maybe I don't. I think he's going to be pretty. I don't think he's going to be universally owned in twelve teamers yet. Fifteen teamers, absolutely, especially ones of weekly fab. But he's he's probably still out there in, in a good amount of twelves if I had to, if I had to guess. So maybe it's worth giving him a shot here. See if he can you know, take that that last dominant start against St. Louis and ride that momentum here for the next few starts. Definitely, definitely some intrigue here. Chris, who would you rather have both this year moving forward, him? Or Josh Winder? I think I'm a little more comfortable with Winder. I am too. Especially oh. that division. You think about pitching the AL East versus the Central, or is a, a big oh, difference. Huge difference. I, I tweeted a couple, yesterday, I think it was, that the only teams that had a fewer amount of runs scored than my Boston Red Sox were Detroit and Kansas City. So both in the AL Central. I hate that Boston was on that list. But, hey, maybe they heard me because they scored a couple, some runs the other day. So. But yeah, definitely easier easier opponents in that AL Central. That is for sure. Another young arm here that debuted today actually was Ryan Pepio of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Went three innings, looked you know decent overall, but did have five walks. This is a guy coming off kind of a down year last year in the upper minors. Actually pitched very well in Double A, Double A Tulsa. In 59 and two-thirds innings, had a 287 ERA and a 0.94 WHIP, but then went up to AAA for 41 and two-thirds innings end the season and got absolutely demolished. 713 ERA, 1.80 WHIP. So overall, it was like he was rising up rankings, and then as quickly as he rose up the rankings, he fell down just as far or even further. But pretty solid start to the season in the. Triple-A Pacific Coast League, which always is hitter-friendly. Six starts, 2.05 ERA, and a 114 whip. What are your ex- expectations for Ryan Pepio here, Chris? Obviously, it's probably not going to be a, a long-term stint here for the Dodgers. Probably just a spot start here. But long-term, do you think Pepio is a valuable fantasy starter? He could be, and a lot depends on his secondaries. The fastball is solid, but... I- I don't know. I'm not in love with at least the shape of it. He did have a 31% CSW on the four seam today. It was 10 called strikes, which is pretty solid. You know, he averaged 94 on the fastball. I don't know. I I think the changeup is obviously his best pitch. It's, you know, extremely nasty. 
but he didn't really have it working too well today. He did get his, his first strikeout with the changeup. It was a great pitch, but you know, overall he had just a 12% CSW. He got just one whiff on it. So that was a little discouraging. I think the slider just needs to be thrown more personally. He he threw it just four times today. I think the slider is a really good pitch. And so when it's working, that pitch can be plus with the changeup, but you got to feature it a little more. I'm curious, you know, what we end up seeing. Like, is he just a two-pitch guy? Like, I can't imagine he doesn't feature the slider more than he did today, 5% of the time. Like, he did throw 77 pitches, so I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, and we see him um, come back. The good thing is, you know, the velo can get high on the fastball. I mean, we've seen him pump it, you know, close to 100 at the top of the zone, and when he does, like, you don't have to worry too much about shape of it there because – so 100 at the top of the zone, it's hard to hit, but he did top out today at just 95.4, which is interesting. Normally, like in an MLB debut, you're going to see like some nerves, and sometimes like the nerves lead to like really high velos. So it's interesting to me that it, he topped out at 95.4. You know, the low on it was 91.5. So we'll see. The slider, telling you, I think that that just needs to be his go to pitch more often. Command the fastball, he'll be fine. Who knows with the Dodgers? Like, what they do with him will be totally up to them. So, I don't know. He may get another start, but we'll see. Yeah, Pepio has always been pretty intriguing to me. Well, really, any like talented pitcher in the Dodgers organization organization is intriguing to some degree. But Pepio has always had, like you mentioned, like he's got the really good changeup. I even saw Keith Law. I think, yeah, pretty sure it was Keith Law of the Athletic put an 80 grade on that changeup. And I've seen plenty of other 70 grades on that changeup, but it's absolutely filthy, solid fastball, at least above average, maybe plus fastball when he's commanding it. Well, but that's been the thing. It's like the command has been inconsistent, especially with the fastball and the slider. Just while you, I mentioned, I totally agree that when he's on with it, it's a pretty good slider. Like it could be an above average slider at any given start, but just the inconsistent command of the pitch. I don't think maybe this is not a good feel for it. Some guys just don't have great feels for breaking balls, and, and that's where they go like changeups or splitters or whatever. But obviously, he has a great feel for his changeup, that's for sure. But if he can find some consistency in terms of overall command and especially this developing that slider to be even just 50 grade, all right, just a consistent, third, like reliable, usable third off. You know, offering to offset the fastball and the changeup. I think they'll do wonders for him. Even, even if that happens, like I'm not saying he's gonna be a number two starter or anything like that. I could see like number four, maybe like a back end three as a ceiling, but he's always had a little bit of a higher walk rate in the minor leagues. It's currently above 10%. So there are some things to work on here, but hey, he's in one of the best organizations to fix those things that need to be fixed. So definitely, definitely set me intrigued there uh, for Ryan Pepio, that's for sure. All right, moving on to a prospect that was actually just demoted, which is no shock at all because he was not ready. And I think a lot of us said that. T.J. Abrams, this is actually – I'm glad that San Diego did this, and they should have done it probably a week or two ago because he was starting sporadically over the last couple of weeks. Played 20 games total, 65 plate appearances, 182, 270, 273 slash, one home run and one steal. Didn't, didn't strike out a ton, but – Definitely was not ready. I think San Diego, some obviously you lose Tatis. That sucks, obviously. 
But they had Hashan Kim. They had other guys that could play the outfield. They caught him up and played him in the outfield a lot too. So it was a very weird move to rush a guy that only had uh, how many games was it above single A? Forty-two games above single A in 2021, and then missed the last three quarters of the season due to injury. Maybe if he didn't miss the time due to the injury, sure he would probably would have been up to AAA or at least had a full year at AA. But the fact that he was coming up injury with only 183 plate appearances above single A. Or above rookie ball, I should say. He only had two games, really, back in 2019 uh, at, at low A, and then obviously missed 2020 because of the pandemic. But I don't know why they did this. But, hey, he's back down because he's got to get regular at-bats in AAA. And that's a, I, I have not changed my long-term outlook on Abrams at all. Yeah, I've, I moved him down, I don't know, 15, 10, 15 or so spots in my dynasty rankings, but my long-term outlook is still the same. You know, plus hitter elite speed still has that potential for more power. So still a top 10 prospect. And if you can buy low, I definitely would. Yeah. And I do think it presents a good buy low opportunity because people freak out about prospects when they come up and struggle. It was the right move. I mean, not getting consistent playing time is obviously a huge ordeal. A player that's still developing needs consistent playing time. And while you look at the profile and you see, yeah, you, know, you see a 182 average. You see, you know, weak quality of contact, just one home run and one steal. It's discouraging, but he struck out just 21% of the time, which I, I would say is an encouragement for your first stint in the majors, especially when you were rushed and not ready. He made solid zone contact. He did chase a little bit too much, and he hit the ball on the ground too much. But I do think that some seasoning in AAA will, will be useful for him. I, I think this was the right move. He should have been there to start the season. But you know, you long term, this is the the way that is going to benefit him the most. So, I'm not overly concerned. If you are, and you're holding him, I would recommend just hold him and let him do his things. He's going to come back and be fine. But if you don't roster him and you have another manager in your league that's freaking out, like go get him. Like I, I think that you know, we're still looking at a player with like Trey Turner type upside, and you see that is a first round pick. So, I'm I'm not concerned a bit about him. No, I'm I'm not either. And yeah, people t- really do tend to, and I think you know, we're all guilty of this. I'm not saying like you and I aren't guilty of this too, but people obviously tend to freak out a bit and overreact to slow starts or even hot starts. Like, it goes both ways. When you know, a rookie can come up and absolutely dominate, people think, oh, he's the he's the next this or that, or he's now top fifty, whatever they say. And the same thing on the flip side with these guys that struggle. And we've seen more of those top guys struggle recently. Like we were, you know, spoiled for you know, a few years stretch with the Sotos, the Vladdies, even though Vladdy took a little bit of time to get going, but the Acunas, the Tatises, etc. And now we're kind of kind of on the other end of the spectrum. We've had a lot of top guys struggle. We've had obviously Kel we've gone over Kelnick struggles. J Rod, he's starting to get it going, has good metrics, but he hasn't really been as expected so far, even though he's he still leads the major leagues in steals, which is great. Witt has had a kind of a slow start. He's starting to get going. Torque, we'll talk about him in a second. He's off to a slow start. So we've seen a lot of these, you know, quote unquote, the can't miss guys, the future studs, the top ten guys, future all stars struggle, and that's why baseball, I think, is the hardest game, at least out of the major sports, I should say. I don't I, I can't speak for like cricket or something like that. I don't know. But the hard, hardest game in the world to excel at. Because I can even the best hitters get out 70% of the time. They, that old saying. So don't overreact. And if someone like, like Chris said, someone is overreacting to Abrams or whatever, 
or even like Witt or J-Rod will throw them into this mix too, go out and seize that opportunity because you know, I'm not changing my outlook on these three at all right now. They're, I think they're still future studs, future fantasy early round draft picks, and you know a few kind of rocky start to a beginning of a major league career is not going to change my mind on that. However, one that I am slightly concerned about is Spencer Torkelson. Not, you know, dropping him way down my rankings or anything like that, but I tweeted this out earlier today, well, on Wednesday, as you're listening to this on Thursday, that above double A in 275 plate appearances, I guess it's not a huge sample size, but you know, it's not a exactly a you know small one either. 275 plate appearances above double A, 208 average. 487 plate appearances above single A, 232 average. You know, I'm not questioning the power. I think he's going to be around a 30 homer bat, give or take. But I got to wonder, is he more of like a 250 hitter as opposed to like maybe a 270 hitter, which I think a lot of people were expecting. That's what I'm questioning. What do you think, Chris? I don't know. I'd say the jury's still probably out on him. I mean, I know college is a distant past this point. We saw how good he was in college, like what what made him – one of the, arguably the best college hitter in the last 10 years, like his bat, you know, was really the entire profile. Like that carried everything in his profile with how good it was. I'm not overly concerned yet about the average. I mean, the contact has been good. I would not say good. It's, the contact has been probably average, at least like league average. I'm actually going to try to pull up and see what the league average contact and, Zone contact rates are right now. Yes, so Torx contact rate right now is 76%. The league average is 76.1%. So right at league average there. His swinging strike rate is actually a percentage point below league average. He's been a bit unlucky with called strikes. Out this. He has a 19.5% called strike rate. It's kind of the same thing with J-Rod. Like you see some bad, you know, I guess rookie luck per se. Torx zone contact is about two percentage points above league average. So obviously you don't like to see league average there, but we are talking about a rookie who's 22 years old. I'm going to say I want to give him some more time. Obviously the results have been you know, suboptimal, and his bad start has kind of been you know, a little bit overshadowed by everybody else's bad starts. <laughs> but he's hitting just 155, which is discouraging. 208 BABIP, though, you know that is obviously something that, you should take into consideration strikeout rate over 30%. Like, I don't think that's who he is. The good news is he is walking in the high clip still. So we're seeing some encouragement there. The best part of the profile is he's not chasing, you know, very often he's hitting the ball hard. Like he's doing things you want to see. Like his, his average exit velocity is 86 percentile hard hit rate, 80th percentile. Like those are encouraging signs from a rookie. So what kind of average he settles in at, I'm not really sure, but I think it's a little early to say like, you know, we're projecting him much lower than we were prior to this year. You're right. I think it is worth noting, like what you mentioned, the stats is he's progressed, but I'm willing to give him some more time to develop personally. This could be another good buy low opportunity. I really still believe yeah. in Torkelson. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying he's not a good buy low or that he's going to be a 250 hitter, but it was just, you know, I, I dug into it earlier today. I, I remember him struggling in AAA, especially, especially with the average, he was still hitting for power last year at AAA, but especially with the average. But then, you know, we saw him, what, three or four games out in the AFL. 
looks like he was working on using the entire field, just going the other way when the opportunity presented itself. So there, that was some encouraging signs there as well, even though it was only a few games. But yeah, I, I still think he could hit 260-270. Absolutely. And said so the power is still there. Like you mentioned the quality of contact has been pretty good. You know, he's still walking at, at a high club, which he's always done dating back to his days at Arizona State. So a lot of encouraging things there. So 100% agree as a buy low. So he's the one that I'm just wondering where the average is at because it's been, like I said, as he's gotten higher levels, he just hasn't been able to hit for average. So, and I'm not saying he can't, obviously, but just something, just something to note. That's kind of where I was going with that. Not so much word, just something to note. All right. Last player here before we hit the break a young exciting player actually just wrote up him in my latest dynasty stock report over on fantasy pro so go check that out that was out on monday he's one of the i said he's one of the most fun marketable players in the game one of the most exciting young players in the game that's jazz chisholm jr had his sixth home run today to push his season line to 295 337 611 with six home runs and six steals in 105 plate appearances. And I tweeted this out earlier today as well, that he's made a lot of improvements this year. He's improved his walk rate, strikeout rate, chase rate, zone contact rate, hard hit rate, average exit velocity, and barrel rate. So, you know, we knew the power speed was there. He showed that last year, 18 home runs, 23 steals. Granted, very tumultuous season. Like those home runs and steals, Seem to come in bunches, and that was the kind of the argument against him is that he's too streaky, he's a strikeout too much. But just kind of kind of similar to how Luis Robert has gone and improved, you know, steadily, and he's been even and he's another guy that's made even further improvements. Go like his savant page uh, as well. But Chisholm is quietly improving, and people people keep looking at the power speed. But I'm more impressed by the fact that his K rate's down to 23 percent, walk rate seven percent, which is not you know great, but it's okay. And I mentioned all the other improvements with, you know, chase rate and, and so on and so forth, zone contact, et cetera. So I'm encouraged. If, if these can stick or even close to it, I think he's a top 25 dynasty guy. I'm not going to put him there quite yet, but he's in my top 50. He might even be top 40 because there's a lot to like here. And still only 24 years old, 25, 25 or better upside. If like I said, these improvements stick, watch out. Yeah, I mean, really the biggest thing that jumps out off the page of me is the ground ball rate. 30.9%. Last year, it was 48.6%. And AAA, well, that was a small sample last year in AAA. But you look, and you know he's had some high ground ball rates in his past. So him dropping that down has been pretty big for his power, in my opinion. Obviously, the higher launch angle does help. And hitting the ball harder as well, too, makes for a big deal. The plate discipline improvements are certainly noteworthy and something that he needed to do. And that was... A big concern for me, and one reason that I didn't draft him you know, in a lot of places because I was concerned about that despite the power and speed upside. But now you've kind of flipped the script, and you're seeing someone that I think can, even if he hits 260 or 270, is a highly valuable fantasy asset. I was concerned that he was more of a 240 hitter, being yep. 300 right now through 100 plate appearances. Does that stick? I think the jury's still out on that, but even if that drops to a 275 number, he's going to be fine. He can run high Babbitt. He has a 344 Babbitt right now, which isn't that high when you factor in an increased line drive rate, the speed that he has. Like that number can stick. So that high Babbitt sticks, then he could continue to hit for a high average. You mentioned the plate discipline metrics, those improvements are 
certainly a big deal in a profile like this that has a lot of volatility. And one, he's swinging a lot more on pitches in the zone, which is big. You know, jump on those pitches and hit them. He doesn't have any noticeable gains or in like his O swing or anything, but still, he's just a little above league average, which or actually below league average in O swing, which is good. I'm encouraged by that. And the contact rates are, you know, similar to slightly lower than last year, but still, like when you're chasing a little less. I think he's going to be okay. I, I really do. And you continue to hit the ball hard and on a line, then you know, that average can certainly stick. The high Babbitt can stick as well. So, yeah, I think you're looking at a potential at least 25-25 type that with a, I would say, decently serviceable batting average. Yeah, totally agree. All right, before we hit the break, let's do a quick game of who would you rather have, Chris? A fun little game I try to sneak into every show, at least to some degree. Let's do it with middle infielders for dynasty purposes here. Chris, would you rather have Jazz Chisholm or Tim Anderson right now in Dynasty? I just think the upside with Jazz is too hard to pass up. Tim's consistent. We know who he is, but I can't pass up the upside with with Jazz. That's fair. How about, and I think I would agree there, Jazz or Lindor? I think they're all pretty close in like a, a ranking standpoint, but I'll take the younger youth and go with Jazz. All right. I can I get now my goal is to find somebody that you will take over <laughs> Jazz. All right. Moving up my list here. Jazz or Xander Bogarts? I'll take Xander. I feel like just there consistency there. So all right. We found the sweet spot with Jazz Chisholm. So yeah, that's you know, all those guys are like, Xander's twenty seventh. I'm gonna have right, right this very second, I have Jazz thirty third, two spots ahead of Lindor and seven ahead of Anderson. That's probably gonna change before my update on Monday, but just to show you how high he's risen, and he was where was he last update? Seventy seconds. So already cut that number basically in half. All right, let's go ahead and take a quick break, though. Come back on the other side and discuss some dynasty buy lows. A lot of fun names to talk about. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back. We'll be back with more Fantrax Toolshed right after this. All right, welcome back from the break. Before we get into those dynasty bylaws, Chris, I pulled up the box score from that Literiano no hitter. I was close. He had six walks. <laughs> it was a, so not, no hit, no hitter, six walks, two strikeouts. Yeah, not even close to a perfect game. No, not even remotely close. That was in a one nothing win against the Chicago White Sox. Both teams were well below five hundred at that point in time. It was early May, and the only run in that game came on a solo shot by a name that I probably hadn't heard in about seven or eight years. Remember Jason Kubel? Yeah. Little power-hitting DH type, which the Twins love. They've always loved that power-hitting DH corner infield, corner outfield type. The guy that can hit bombs and not do much else. <laughs> it's always been their guy, even even a decade ago. Man, Literiano was filthy for like a couple of years. Remember that? It was he like was. him and Johan, and Johan was still peak Johan or – you know, hmm. back end of peak Johan and Liriano yeah. kind of like emerges the number two. I remember I went like all in on Liriano and several keeper and dynasty leagues, and it was looking good for like a couple years. Then he faded so quick. But anyway, we're not here to talk Liriano, who's been retired for what five, six years at this point. Let's get in some dynasty by lows. We each have three names to talk about here today. 
an infielder each, an outfielder each, and a pitcher each. Let's start in the infield. Chris, who is your dynasty by-low infielder right now? I'm going to go with uh, Brandon Lau. And this feels like a really similar case to what happened last year. And, and I said I was out on him at that point last year when he was <laughs> struggling so you, bad. You, ha- you have a, a extreme love-hate relationship with Brandon Lau. Yeah, and then he went on that tear and ended up, I think his he raised his batting average like 100 points over like the second half and ended up with so, 39 yeah. home runs, near 100 running RBI. Well, he's struggling again. He's got a slash of 200, 288, 382, just a 670 OPS. Good news is he's playing every day. That's a big encouragement is that he is playing every day. He has some platoon splits that make some people nervous, but he's one that's going to be run out there every day. You know, the funny thing is his batting average is actually 35 points higher against lefties than righties this year. Like, that's obviously not – it's a small sample. He's, he's just had 33 plate appearances against lefties, as opposed to 92 against righties, but that's certainly interesting. He does have three home runs against lefties. People were concerned that he couldn't hit lefties. Well, he's doing the exact opposite. He can't hit righties right now. He's going to be fine. I'm not particularly worried. He has five home runs and a steal so far. Everything in the profile looks pretty similar. The biggest thing, there's been a drop in his home run to fly ball rate. But his home run to fly ball rate for his career has been pretty consistent in the low 20s, 22.4% for his career. And over the last two years, it was 23.7 and 24.1%, just 16.1 right now. Got to think that dead in baseball is having some effects for that. I think he's going to be okay. I think he still hits 30-plus. He's going to chip in some steals. We know he's not a huge batting average guy, but I bet he hits 250 by season's end. I think he's still a really serviceable player. He's striking out less than last year, which is a huge thing in a profile that struck out 27.2% of the time last year. I've seen a lot of reason to buy Brandon Lau right now. You know, people may be discouraged because he's hitting his 200, but I do think it's a prime opportunity to buy him. Think about that streak that he went on last year. He's been a streaky hitter in the past, but in season-long roto format, he's going to end up with the numbers that you want. He's going to give you power. He's going to give you some decent speed for a power hitter as well. So I'm saying Brennan Lau is a decent buy. And you think about dynasty format, he's just 27 years old. It feels like he's been around for a while, but he's still young. He's still in his prime, maybe even just entering his prime. So he's got a, a there's a good buy opportunity here for Brennan Lau, potentially if your league mates are worried about him. Yeah, he's always been incredibly streaky yeah he's definitely more valuable in roto than head-to-head because he can really sink you for you know a couple weeks in head-to-head but like you mentioned doesn't matter you know when you get those 39 home runs it still count the same at the end of the season so definitely like that uh by low pick for sure i actually realized that my infield pick hasn't actually played infield this season i thought he'd played a few games there but he's played strictly outfield which i didn't realize but i'm still going with him anyway because i still think there's a, a decent chance he winds up at first base long term and that's Mr. Andrew Vaughn, the guy that Tony LaRusso refuses to like for some odd reason. Vaughn, even though last year the you know the surface stats were, you know, they weren't terrible. They weren't great. 235, 309, 396, slash line, 15 home runs and 22 doubles in 127 games. But you know, there's still some definite, you know, solid metrics there. Like the Approach was still decent. Quality of contact was good. Barrel rate was around 11%. Hard hit 47.3%. So there's still some encouraging signs there. 
this year. He's on the injured list right now, but he's in a rehab assignment, AAA right now, probably back within the next handful of days from the sounds of it. But when he's been on the field, it's only been 60 plate appearances, but he's looked a lot better this year, even better than he did last year. 283, 367, 566 slash line. He's got a 283 ISO, four home runs in 60 plate appearances. Barrel rates up to 13.6%. Hard hit rate up to 56.8%. Walk rate right around the same as last year. And the K rate is even down to 15%. So a lot of encouraging stuff there. Whiff rates down to 16% from 24.6% last year. Chase rates down around 4%. Zone contact has been in the mid-80s both years. So a lot of good stuff there, like the contact skills, the approach, the power. It's all there. Is he kind of boring? Sure. I'll go there. He doesn't provide any speed. But this is a guy that I still think can be a... 270-ish hitter with a solid you know, 340, 350 OBP in that ballpark. And, you know, 25 to 30 home runs and good counting stats. You know, honestly, long-term, I don't see a huge gap between him and Torkelson. And I think right now you'll see Torkelson ahead of, in a lot of dynasty rankings, mine, mine included. But Vaughn, I think, is just a great buy right now because even though he's had the good metrics and he's turned it around on the surface this season – I think there's still his value is still lower than it should be. You can pretty much blame Larusa for that, or maybe that's maybe that's you know you can thank him for that if you go out and try to acquire him in dynasty leagues. He's still 24 years old. Said so quality of context there. The approach is solid. A lot of good. He's in a good ballpark, a good lineup that should be good for you know the foreseeable future with all that young offensive talent they have right now. You know Robert and Anderson and Eli Jimenez. So Andrew Vaughn, great buy right now. Over to the outfielder, you know, your outfielder here. I already did one outfielder, but we'll give you two outfielders now. Chris, who you got? All right, so I'm going with Jesse Winker, and I know he's another one that the numbers have been discouraging. He has a lower slug than his OBP right now, 313 OBP, 275 slug, sub-100 ISO. Obviously, his move out of Cincinnati was a big downgrade for ballpark standards at least. Like Him hitting in Great American Ballpark was great for him. So that is obviously a little bit of a negative here for Weaker, but he's not nearly as bad as he's been. And I think people should know that by this point. Like he is an excellent hitter for average. And even though I do think him playing in Seattle is a slight tick down for bad average, it shouldn't be this. And, you know, I'm hesitant to even quote any X stats right now with how wonky everything is, but he does have an XBA of 308 an X slug of 462, which is nearly 200 points different. And his X Woba is 374. So all those things tell me he's been a bit unlucky so far this year. He is playing every day, which I was a little concerned about, that he might play in a platoon there. His BABIP is extremely low at 282 right now. He's, the good thing is he's striking out at a career low rate, and he's walking – more than he struck out so far this year. The plate discipline is unchanged. He has seen a little bit of a downtick in at least like the quality of contact metrics, at least the average exit velocity is down a hair. So that's a bit of a worry, but it's too early to really worry about that, honestly. So he is the barrel rates down. I do think we see all this tick up. Like the weather's been pretty brutal this year, and especially in like the Pacific Northwest, like there's a there's a decent difference here 
between what we're talking about and like Cincinnati, even though Cincinnati weather hasn't been great, you know, the Pacific Northwest hasn't been great either. So I think we'll see him really see a tick up as we see warmer weather, like that power's going to come. He's going to hit for average. Like he's making all the contact. Like there's no worries there. He's chasing even less than he did last year when he hit 305. Big encouragement to me. The home run to fly ball rate of 3.1% is not going to sustain. I mean, you look at his career rate, 18.8%. I'm not a bit worried about Winker, and I think it's a pretty good buying opportunity. There's some encouraging signs he's playing every day, even against the lefties, that he's exhibiting great plate discipline skills, and he's walking more, and he's striking out. Everything will come around, and he will be fine. Yeah, definitely a great pick there with Winker. I definitely think he's a C, you know, better, better numbers here moving forward, of course. My guy, I'm going to go over to the St. Louis Cardinals with Tyler O'Neill, who's off to a yeah, very slow start to the year. He does have two home runs and three steals, which is still pretty solid, I guess. But a 198, 267, 317 slash line through 116 play appearances. You know, the, the quality of contact is down this year, which, okay, down from where it was last year, where it was 17.9% barrel rate, 52.2 hard hit rate, 93 mile per hour. Average exit velo. Now he's down to still good, but not that good. 12.7 barrel, 89.3 exit velo, 36.6 hard hit. The K rate has improved two percentage points. The walk rate's up 2.4%. You've seen other minimal improvements elsewhere. You know, the chase rate's down a little bit, whiff rate's down a little bit. Those are all encouraging that he's made some strides there. They're not huge improvements, but. Definitely, you know, the fact that he's dropped that K rate 2% and walk rate up 2.5%, you know, that's encouraging to see. He's really, really struggling against off-speed, though, this year. 154 batting average against, 58.8% whiff rate. In 2021, 304 batting average against on off-speed. Still a 40.4% whiff rate, but a 304 average and a 457 slug this year again 154 average and a 154 slug no extra base hits off off speed yet so i gotta wonder even though he's still the average exit below off off speed pitches is 92.2 miles an hour which is actually his best against the three pitch classification so you gotta think that there's some positive regression there he's still murdering fastballs 277 batting average against slug is down a little bit but again like chris said x stats can be a little bit difficult to read right now but for what it's worth XBA, X-Slug, both much higher uh, on fastballs and just on for him in general. But the power, I'm not concerned about. Like, yeah, the power metrics are down. But just look at Tyler O'Neill for a second. This guy is a power hitter. Like, he passes the eye test, still has good quality of contact metrics, sprint speed until 90th percentile. He, he's a very strong, very quick dude. So I think he's got to get it going here. He's always a big pretty streaky just even though he's made improvements you know the k rate is still 30 percent. the whiff rate is still high so always going to be a little bit streaky due to that but i think this is still a 25 to 30 homer bat to add in 10 to 15 steals so maybe last year fair to say it could have been peak value for o'neill but maybe you know tempered expectations slightly moving forward but like i said it's still like a 25 12 to 15 type of guy. I think the average at least get back up to near his career 254 mark. Never going to be a big OBP guy, 318 career OBP, but 25, 15, that'll play the 
you know, he's, he's got 19 RBI, 14 runs scored already. So, you know, St. Louis's lineup has been pretty damn good this year. So, I'm not really that worried about Tyler O'Neill. So, great buy low right now in all formats, redraft, dynasty, whatever, all formats. He's a good buy low. All right, let's finish it off with a pitcher each. Chris, who you got? All right, well, I'm going to Miami, and we're going to talk Trevor Rogers for a minute. Really easy to be concerned about what he's been doing so far because it just hasn't been good. And he really hasn't showed a ton of promise, and that's a little bit discouraging. I mean, his last outing against San Diego was fine. He didn't allow an earned run, but he only struck out three in five innings, walked two. He's had his bad starts. I don't know. I'm kind of in an interesting spot with Rodgers, but I think people are so concerned about him when they see a 17% strikeout rate and over a 10% walk rate, but that's really never who he's been for his career. His swinging strike rate is at 8.7%, which obviously that's discouraging. That's a career low by far. And so I think you see all this stuff come back to life. While Sierra 475 doesn't give you much hope, his FIP of 395 suggests that he has pitched a little better. He's running a really low strand rate right now. He's allowing a little bit more contact, but interestingly enough, it's like out-of-zone contact that's really been killing him. Last year, his out-of-zone contact rate was 56.6%. This year's 72, and like that just isn't going to be sustainable when you're looking at hitters just making that kind of contact on pitches outside the zone, especially with a slider like his, like, you know, his changeups obviously is bread and butter pitch, and it's been really subpar this year. Even though he has a 182 batting average against, he's stuck in the whiffs that he did last year. The whiff rate on it is down, it's about cut in half, honestly, which is a big deal. But I think that does come back. He's, I mean, the four seam is getting hit pretty hard, 327 batting average against. The number was just 222 last year. He's, he's getting a similar whiff rate. But I just think there's some bad luck here, this, uh, seeing that batting average really tick up. And I wouldn't say he was lucky last year on that pitch either because he struck out 99 hitters with it. So I think there's been some bad luck swing his way. He, obviously, the BABIP is fine. It's, it's not going to see much regression either way, but strand rate has really hurt his ERA, in my opinion. And I think that does come back down to earth. But you know, that, that out-of-zone contact just really pops off the page to me. Like, why is he allowing more out-of-zone contact and that typically tells me that there's probably some bad luck. He's just had a had a, a strain of bad luck. The slider especially has been located well. I'd argue the changeup has been located good as well, especially like out of the zone. Like he's the slider's really getting people to go down and away on it. So I'm really thinking that he's gonna be okay. Everything else in the hood is very similar to last year. Like not allowing a ton of barrels, which is good. It's barrel rate's actually lower than last year which is encouraging so far. His average EV allowed is right in line with last year and his career. The batting average is really getting ballooned right now. He's allowing more contact, and I think that comes down. So I think Trevor Rogers is a good buy low at the moment. Yeah, absolutely agree there. He's better than this. We Absolutely. Everything you mentioned, 100% agree with. Definitely concur with that recommendation. I'm going to go out west here, and this is a guy that actually made me think of this segment for today's episode. I tweeted about him earlier today because today was the one-year mark of his surgery for Tommy John surgery. That's Dustin May of the Los Angeles Dodgers. People kind of forget because it was only five starts, but he was 
really, really, really good last year. Those five starts, 274 ERA, 0.96 whip, and a 32.6 strikeout minus walk rate, 38% K rate, 5.4% walk rate, nearly doubling his K rate from the previous year. He was a guy that, you know, we talked about him, you know, back when we had uh, five tool with Jake Devereaux and Jesse Roche, we talked about Dustin May a lot. And Jake Devereaux especially was really beating the Dustin May drum. And I kind of came along for the ride. He's always had the nasty stuff. And it's kind of similar to like Matt Brash, right? Nasty stuff. Can't really command it or put it where you want. And May's always had good, you know, control, but it doesn't matter how much break your pitch ass or what the velocity is. You can't land it for strikes consistently, or at least every now and then hitters aren't going to respect it. So they see the sink coming in. They just know it's going to bear inside off the plate. So he made some adjustments with his location and his pitch mix last year. He threw the sinker less. He threw the cutter less, more curveballs and more four seamers as well. It was a great mix. The curveball had a 45.2% whiff rate. The cutter, 51.5 overall. And so that whiff rate jumped considerably from 19.1% the previous year to 31.6%. They go along with that huge K rate jump. Yeah, he's injured right now, but like I said, he's one year post-operation. It's everything. It seems like he's going to be back, you know, July or so. No idea how the Dodgers will use him. Obviously, they already have a lot of arms. Maybe they ease him back in a multi-inning role. We'll see. So maybe for 2022 redraft leagues, yeah, not the greatest dash. I think he's still going to be pretty damn good. But more obviously, this is for Dynasty, though. I still firmly believe that Dustin May, let's fast forward two years from now. Hopefully, he stays healthy. That's a caveat, obviously. But I really do believe that Dustin May is going to be a top 15 starting pitcher long-term. As I believe in, like I always said, he needed to adjust the pitch mix. He did that. We saw the results. Yes, there's only five games, but I truly believe in what we saw out of Dustin May. Still only 24 years old, elite stuff, really good command and control. All of the, everything he wants there from a fantasy ace. It needs to build up the endurance, build up the arm strength again, build up the innings. But I think on a per-game basis, he could be elite. And again, long-term, top 15 starter that's i firmly believe that but that is going to wrap us up thank you to everyone for tuning in again in this episode we hope you enjoyed it you can follow us on twitter chris is at roto clegg i'm at eric cross zero four and our show is at fantrax toolshed and check out all of our written work at fantrax hq fantasy pros or over on our patreon and join us again next time for more fantasy baseball talk but until then everyone take care 